0: A new mission
1: transmission. Let's go grab it. Oh my gosh, where do you think it's from? What do you think it is? <laughs> <laughs> All right. It says, dear missioners, the world needs you. Your mission is to deliver the good news to the ends of the earth. Godspeed, missionaries What a mission. Where do we start? I have an idea. <laughs> We just preach to everyone that we see. We just stop and to everywhere, anywhere we go, we just stop and we talk to anyone we see. We just stop and talk and we preach to everyone how much God loves them. You know, Speak, I like that idea. It reminds me of someone. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome. Welcome. Happy Easter. Welcome to the uh, post-Easter series, which we're doing here at the Well at STSA, which is called Mission Witness. Sorry, not mission speak. Mission Witness, where every week we will be talking about a different way of witnessing to our faith. Because like I mentioned earlier, is that for us, after Christ is risen... And he's risen from the dead and we believe the one thing that has to characterize the body of Christ after such a phenomenal event as the resurrection is a spirit of witnessing to what it is that we have seen. This particular series, I got to be honest, is very near and dear to my heart as well as to our church. And you'll see why as we go through today, especially, why this series is so special to us here at The Well and at STSA. We're going to start with a verse from 2 Timothy chapter 4, where St. Paul is writing his final words to his beloved disciple, Timothy. Okay, and you all know that we named the church here after St. Timothy. So in a lot of ways, I take these verses very literally for us. I feel like this is our mentor speaking to us and telling us the following. Okay, final epistle. one of the latest writings of his life. He says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions, and then the highlighted part: do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. What we're going to talk about here in this series, we're going to have some fun with this. We're going to talk about what does it mean to do the work of an evangelist. What does the word evangelism mean? Evangelism is one of those buzzwords that gets kind of thrown out in Christian circles all over the world, and it kind of means different things to different people. Most of us think of evangelism. We think of like the preacher guy with the high hair and the fancy suit asking for people's money. We think of maybe that guy back when we were in college who set up that table and he looked like John the Baptist because he had the beard and the hair was all crazy. And he said, Repent, for the kingdom is coming. And he said, Repent, you're all going to hell. And remember that guy? And then some of us say, you know what? We don't preach that way. Our preaching is by action, not by words. What does evangelism mean? We know when Jesus spoke to his apostles and his disciples and told them to go preach the word, we have an idea of what it meant for them. And they left their jobs. And they, everywhere they went, they tried to preach this religion called Christianity. Not religion, as much as they preach a person called Christ. And that was like the only thing they did. They quit their day jobs. This was their full-time thing. But is the same thing apply to us? Like now, everyone knows about Christianity. Now Christianity's everywhere. Do we need to leave our jobs? Do we need to do like them, or is evangelism one of those like extra credit activities in Christianity? It's like an elective. You know, like the most important thing is just be good and don't do bad stuff. Keep the Ten Commandments, and then if you want a few bonus points on your report card, try to evangelize. But it's not that big a deal. Like some people choose that elective. Some people choose the elective of give to the poor. And some people choose the elective of, you know, become a priest. So just kind of, it's one of these things. What do we, what is required of us? Are we responsible for when it comes to evangelism? Well, like I said, this topic is dear to my heart and it's dear to our church. If you're a member of this church, you remember back when we did the membership group and you sat and we talked about the core values of this church. One of our core values is built around this idea of evangelism and witnessing. And it is our ninth core value, which says the following. It's personal call to evangelism. Let's read this all together, because this is not what I believe. This is what we, members of the church, believe. We believe what? We believe that the call to evangelism, say it all together. We believe that the call to evangelism and witnessing applies to us just as much as it did to the apostles in the early church. God will hold me, you said it, not me, that God will hold you and me accountable to its completion. They you say, hey, wait a minute. I'm just, uh, I'm a lawyer. I'm a doctor. I'm an accountant. I'm just here, like, this is just like a side gig, this church thing. This is just like a weekend thing that I do. This isn't my full-time, like, you, Father, Anthony, you're the one who got getting paid for this. You're the one who, this is your job. This is when you put this on your resume, like, you are accountable. But the rest of us, The rest of us got jobs. I didn't say that any one person, I don't believe that any one person is responsible for the entire mission. But I do believe that everyone is responsible for a piece of the mission. Each one of us is required and will be held accountable for a piece of the pie when it comes to evangelism and witnessing. And that's what we want to talk about here in this series is what is our piece of the pie and what will God hold me accountable for because there will be something. Once upon a time, there was a pastor in a small town, okay, a small little church where everybody knew everybody. In that town, there was a uh, there were these two brothers. And these two brothers were sons of a famous evangelist. Okay, their dad was a traveling evangelist. He would go and preach the gospel and he was very famous. And then he had these two sons. But these two sons couldn't have fallen further from the app from the tree. Okay, cuz they were very immoral, they were very dishonest. They were obnoxious people. They were unfaithful to their wives. They were abusive to their children. They were rude. They were loud. They cheated everybody. Then they owned the business. They cheated people and their their customers and their employees. They were the worst people in town and everybody knew it. The older brother dies all of a sudden, suddenly. The younger brother calls the pastor, tells him, my brother died. We need to do a funeral. The pastor agrees to do the funeral because he's a member of his church. And he tells him, I need you at his funeral, to say my brother was an evangelist, because that means a lot to my dad. You have to say in the eulogy that the the brother was an evangelist. So the pastor says, I can't do that. You and I both know that your brother was not an evangelist. Your brother did more to push people away from Christianity than anybody else. He was a liar. He was a cheat. He was a thief. He was a jerk to everybody that he met. I can't say that. The brother said, you have to say that. They didn't give him a choice. The pastor didn't know what to do. Shows up at the funeral. Begins the funeral and says, We all know that the man who we're burying today was a wicked man. He was dishonest. He was a cheat. Cheated on his wife. Never there for his kids. He was rude. And he did more to push people away from Christianity than anybody that I knew. But compared to his brother, he was an evangelist and even a saint. Let's start our discussion, what does it mean to be an evangelist? And we realize that it's not a title, okay? What does it mean to be an evangelist? We're going to start with the words of Christ, all right? What does Christ expect of us? We're going to go two verses. Both verses are appearing at the end of the life of Christ. Sorry, after the end of the life of Christ, after he had risen from the dead, before he ascended up to heaven. Final words to his disciples and apostles, been with them for three years, preached everything, final words, final message. Says the following, Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. That's the end of the Gospel of Matthew. We'll pick it up from Mark, the last chapter of the Gospel according to St. Mark. says even more clearly. It says, go into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature. Our mission is to preach the Gospel to every creature. There isn't any wiggle room in that statement, at least not that I see. There isn't any like, preach whenever you can. Do your best, but I understand. There's no wiggle room there. It's every single creature. It is your responsibility. And again, you, not you, not you, 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 but you as the body of Christ. It is your responsibility to every single creature. Preach the gospel. It is your duty. Is there any wiggle room And what we are called to do. No. There's no wiggle room. Our calling is the same. But is there any wiggle room in how we're called to do it? See what I believe is that so often we confuse the what and the how. And I believe the what in this instance is non-negotiable. We are called to preach the gospel. We are called to evangelize. We are called to witness. But the how is what I want to get into in this series. And what I believe, and I hope you believe as well, is that it doesn't have to look the same. Like my preaching doesn't have to look like your preaching, doesn't have to look like Saint Peter's preaching, doesn't have to look like anyone else's. Just look at the Bible, look at the people who got who received this commandment. Look at the disciples and the apostles, of the early church. Did they all witness to the resurrection of Christ in the same way? Like some people, Saint Peter, stood up, day of Pentecost, preach repentance for salvation, baptize, boom. But Saint Stephen was also an evangelist, didn't preach that way at all. St. Stephen actually didn't open his mouth to the very end, but he served the tables and it said as he was serving the tables, people saw a face of an angel. So finally at the very end, yeah, he spoke at the end, but St. Stephen did most of his preaching without ever opening his mouth. You have someone like St. Paul, we read about it earlier today in the Acts of the Apostles, those here during the liturgy. We all, we saw St. Paul preached by logic and by reason and by ration. He says, okay, y'all are philosophers, let's discuss. Y'all believe in an unknown God, let me tell you about that unknown God. But then you have someone who's polar opposite, someone like the man who was born blind, who preached by testimony, says, I don't know my left hand from my right hand, but I know one thing, though I was blind, now I see. And he preached by witnessing. So what you see is the what is the same. We preach the gospel to every creature. We witness to the resurrection of Christ. The what is non-negotiable. Every single person who calls themselves a Christian has that duty. But the how, remember when we did the series on spiritual flavors? Remember the finding your flavor? The same applies here. In the same way that we looked at, that not all of us express our spirituality. We all need to pray, but some of us may pray a little bit different. We all need to get into the Bible, but some of us get in different. We all need to have that quiet, but some of us different. Same thing when it comes to evangelism. There's flavors of evangelism. There's a reason why it says, preach the gospel to every creature. Is every creature out there exactly the same? Is every creature out there the same? Is every human being exactly the same? No. So there's a reason why God made us different. So we can reach different people. And some of us, some people in this room, have very strong personalities. And they're extroverted and they're very sociable and they're very like easy to speak and they, they're very good and that's great. But then some people who are the polar opposite, who are very shy, who, who don't have boldness, but they have compassion, they have a heart of compassion that you can't imagine. And I'm saying God made this person to preach to a creature and this person to a different creature. Because some creatures that, that hear it this way and some creatures that hear it this way. And what we need to discover is how God made us and then Fulfill the what? Preach the gospel to every creature according to the how in which God made us. Or another picture. Imagine you have a team of superheroes. A team of superheroes whose job is to protect the galaxy of whatever it may be. But they each have different superhero powers. Okay? And that's what we see. We're going to see every week here, we're going to see a team of superheroes who who have the duty have the mission of one mission, but they have different roles in it. We here, we have a mission. We bring an ancient faith to a modern world. That's our mission. Our mission right here, is we're bringing an ancient faith to a modern world. But the way you do it, first the way you do it, first the way you do it. Some people on college campuses, some people in office buildings, some people through serving the poor, some people who are preaching to the poor, some people up on stage with microphones and lights and screens, and some people no one ever ever know their name, but they're still preaching just as much we have one mission. We play different roles when it comes to that mission. And every week in this series, what we are going to do is we are going to look at a hero of the faith, an evangelist who preached the gospel in a unique way. And the goal here, as we're going to look at five different people, is some of the lesser knowns of Christian faith. We're going to look at mostly people who are not from the Bible. Actually, none of them come from the Bible times. Only today's come from the biblical times. But the story we're going to see about this person is not from the Bible story, but what happened after the Bible. Every week we're going to see a different person from Christian history, all throughout the ages, different places, okay, in different time periods, who preach the gospel in their own unique way, and we're going to see what lessons we can learn from them. Today's saint, today's hero, is someone named Saint, whoops, Fotini. Saint Fotini, also known as the Samaritan woman. We're going to see, today you're going to learn the story of one of the greatest evangelists that you know nothing about. And just because you know her story in the Bible, doesn't mean you know her story. Let's get the Bible story out of the way, okay? Her story, we see it in John chapter 4. We're not going to even read it, to be honest, because most of us, I would imagine, know it. And that story, John chapter 4, sinful woman, lived a sinful life, first century Palestine, women had no rights, but she was like, she was, not living a good life by any means, and she was at at the bottom at the bottom at the bottom of the barrel, and she treated herself as such. She was the town harlot. She meets Jesus by a well one day, and Jesus tells her, great news. I got water that you drink it, you'll never be thirsty again. She said, give me this water. She drank of that water. It wasn't a real water, or it wasn't a physical water. It was a spiritual water, which was Christ himself. She immediately, as soon as she did that, what do we know about her? She dropped her water pot, and she went and told the whole city, come and see a man who told me all things I ever did. Her instantaneous reaction, was repent, preach. That was instantaneous reaction. Repent. Let's even add one. Let's go believe, repent, witness. That was the instantaneous reaction, and that's all the Bible tells us about her, and we don't hear about her again. But this is where orthodoxy connects the rest of the dots for us. Okay. So often in life, is you people Christians all over America today, they know about what happened in the Bible. Okay, first century up to the end of the first century and they kind of know the church of like the past hundred years, 200 years at most, but then there's just like this dark period where as if the church didn't exist. Well, orthodoxy connects the dots for us. It tells us that the church of the first century, you know what happened to them? they became the church of the second century. The church of the second century became the church of the third century. Fourth, fifth, sixth, and there's a continuous line and it's not this black box that we don't know what happened in the church. Some people think the church died and then all of a sudden it rose again. Okay, saying the church died is saying that Christ died. Okay, Christ died only once, and he rose, and that's 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 the only death that he ever had, and only resurrection he ever had. The church was around during this time, and Orthodoxy tells us what happened to the Samaritan woman after this encounter with Jesus at the well. Story goes that on the day of Pentecost, she was baptized by the apostles. And as soon as she was baptized, they were gave they gave her the name Photini. Photini means the enlightened one. Okay, comes from the word light, like photo, photon, okay? means the enlightened one. And as soon as she did that, her personality was, as we saw in, in John chapter 4, she was a preacher by words, and she became a missionary. She first traveled, I'm sorry, before she started traveling, she preached to her five sisters and her two sons, and they converted and believed as well. And you say, well, it's her sisters and her sons. Back then, being a Christian was a death sentence, okay, as we're going to see, because she eventually gets martyred as well. So even preaching to your own family was not a given. Okay, she preached to her own family, her two sons. They all became not only believers, but evangelists and martyrs as well. Then she traveled to Carthage. She went from Palestine to Carthage. Carthage would be northern Africa, over there a little bit to the west, next to Libya, be modern-day Tunisia. She traveled there. Then from there, she traveled across the Mediterranean to Italy. And she decided she wanted to go preach in Rome. She had no business in Rome, but she just wanted to go preach in the most powerful city in the entire world. And she ended up there where eventually she was martyred. After her death, she was honored by the early church in a way that is incomprehensible to modern society at that time. Actually, you can see it here in this icon. Can you see it in the icon? See, it says Saint Fotini. You see what it says next to her, like the horizontal way? Can y'all read it right there? Equal to the apostles. She was given the title of an apostle, okay? And the church with its titles is very, like, stingy with its titles, okay? Church, equal to the apostles is not something given out easily. Let's see one of the hymns that the Eastern Orthodox actually still say to this day about her. Fotini was illuminated by the Holy Spirit, all glorious one. From Christ, the Saviour, you drank the water of salvation. With open hand, you give it to those who thirst. Great martyr Fotini, equal to the apostles, pray to Christ for the salvation of our souls. Equal to the apostles is not a title that is given out like the apostles are at the top of it all. What did Fotini do to earn this title? Well, it's not what happened in John chapter 4. It's what happened after that. Okay, so I'll try to tell the story quickly. and You can go read up on her afterwards. She has a really beautiful story. After she was baptized on the day of Pentecost, given the name Photini, went to Carthage, then she went to Rome. We'll pick up the story in Rome because that's where the excitement happens. She gets to Rome. The emperor of Rome is a man named Nero. He's a wicked, wicked, wicked man who hated Christians and he persecuted them all the time. Nero hears about Photini. He hears about her because she's out preaching and he gets a report, and he says the following. This is what it says in the history books. Who is this woman? She came here with a crowd of followers, and she preaches Christ with great boldness. If you're a woman, and you get noticed by the emperor of Rome, you're making waves. And that was Fotini. She was boldness. He ordered her arrest. Soldiers went to go look for her. You know what they found when they went to go look for her? She wasn't there. You know why? Because she had gone to the emperor. And she said, I'm not waiting for you to arrest me. I'm coming to you. And the emperor, of course, was shocked. Why would a woman who has an order for her arrest come to me? She said the following. She said, I came to teach you to believe in Christ. That's what she said to the man who's going to kill her for believing in Christ. And he thought she had a problem. So he said to her, you realize that preaching Christ is a death penalty. It's a death sentence. You're not allowed to do that around here. And She said, her and her five sisters and her one son, we'll pick up the other son's story later, said, we are ready to die. and We will gladly die for the name of Christ. And they preached to him about the love of Christ and the resurrection. Nero was not a happy camper. So Nero began to torture them. First torture, I'll just say just one because, I mean, we didn't know what to do. They put their hands on a wooden block. And then they get the soldiers out. The same soldiers that whipped Christ and they had iron rods. And they would beat them on their hands. Fotini, was beaten for three hours on her knuckles and on her hands. And not just beaten by one soldier, because the one soldier would get tired. They would rotate the soldier. Every half hour, a new soldier would come in, full of energy, and would start beating. And after every beating, you renounce Christ, deny Christ? She said no. And she spoke, and she said no. She beat, and they beat her hands. Well, at the end of that, Fotini's hands looked as if they were brand new. No harm done. Pain she felt didn't translate to anything. God had done a miracle, and she didn't feel anything. Fast forward a few more tortures. Nero said, You know what? This lady's tough, and somehow her God is doing things with her that I can't imagine. So let's go a different approach. Now, Nero took Fotini and her five sisters and took them to the reception, the palace, the golden reception hall, is what it was called. And they went in there and they saw gold everywhere. The front of the room was six golden thrones upon which sat six women dressed in the finest apparel, jewels, diamonds. In front of them was tables full of gold and jewels and all kinds of stuff. And then Nero had his daughter come in and speak to Fotini. He thought, maybe I can't deal with the women, but maybe a woman could talk to a woman. Okay, Maybe he said, I can't deal with them, so let the woman try to talk to her. And the woman, the daughter, tried to convince her that all this could be yours if you renounce Christ. What do you think Fotini did? She converted the daughter. (laughs) She preached to the daughter. The daughter believed. The daughter then went to her 100 plus servant girls and converted them and and they were baptized and the daughter went out the next day and sold all her gold and jewelry to the poor people or sold it all and gave all the money to the poor people in all of Rome. Now Nero is going crazy. (laughs) He's going crazy. So you know what he does? He has them thrown, Fotini and her sisters, in a fiery furnace. He opens up the furnace, makes it as hot as can be, throws them in there, shuts the gate, and closes it, and that's it. Seven days later, he opens up the furnace to just collect the ashes. And there you have all six women, smiles on their faces. God had done another miracle and preserved them all. I don't know how they didn't eat for seven days. I don't know how they didn't drink. I don't know how they survived the fire. But they survived, and God did the miracle, and they came out shining and bright as ever before. He tried to poison them. Fotini was not afraid of the poison. Fotini, in fact, said, I will drink the poison first of among the six, so in case any of you are afraid, I will drink the poison. I will show you the power of my Christ and my God. She drank it. No problem. It like a drink of Kool-Aid. They passed it around. They said, can I have seconds? <laughs> eventually, eventually, when Nero got sick and tired of his tortures failing, he threw them in prison, and he stayed in prison for three years. What do you think happened at the end of those three years? Everyone in that prison was converted to Christianity. Every sucker that they threw in that prison, Fotini said, this is great. You have nowhere to go. Let me preach to you and let me tell you about my Christ and my God. And that's what she did. Finally, Nero was done with them. He had them all. He said, they're going to be killed today. The five sisters, he had them beheaded, which didn't make them sad. Actually, they were yearning for that. They couldn't wait to be martyred. They were beheaded. Fotini was not beheaded. He had something special. God had something special for her and just to show how God works even through the wicked. The emperor threw her into a well. The emperor threw her into a well and she in the bottom of that well prayed and she heard the voice of God saying, Fotini, you're coming home. And she gave up her spirit and she died in the same place that she was born. She died in the same place that she was born, which is at the bottom of the well with Jesus. That's Fotini for you. What was Fotini's way of evangelism? Fotini, which is our first week here in this series, is her mission was to speak. Her mission was to open her mouth and to preach. And this is not the only way of evangelism. Each week we're going to see different people. The first week is the only one that speak. The rest of them are not. This is not the only way but let's not fool ourselves and kid ourselves and say this is not an important way. And when I say speak, Fotini was a preacher, but not in the way that we usually think. We usually, you think of a preacher, someone like me, podium, uh, the microphone to stand, the thing like that. That's how we think of a preacher, someone up on a stage. Fotini was never on a stage. I think, to be honest, I think a preacher, I think someone like Fotini. She never stood on stage, she never had a microphone, but everywhere she went, she met some person. That person knew that Jesus Christ was the most important person to Fotini. She met another person in the prison. That person knew who Jesus Christ was. She, she, uh, her sister, they knew everywhere she went. She preached, she spoke. She never got a, a, like a platform or anything like that. She was never on TV. She never had a following on Facebook or Twitter or anything like that. But everywhere she went, everyone knew who the most important was for Fotini and that was Jesus Christ. Speaking is not the only way to be an evangelist, but it certainly is a central one. Let's be honest. We don't like speaking. We like to say, we all said this before, we preach by our actions. And we all know there's that famous quote St. Francis of Assisi once said, that preach at all times if necessary, use words. And it's everyone's favorite way to preach. If we're honest, it's usually out of fear. It's not out of faith. It's out of fear. And we say we preach by actions because we are afraid to speak. And I'm not against actions. We're going to talk about actions. But my point is, sometimes it is necessary to use more than actions. For example, let's say I invite you to come to my house. And you come into my house. And you park on the street. And we're walking up the lawn together to get into my house. And I know that the dog pooped right there. You are following me to the house. I know the dog pooped right there. So I walk to the left. And I just walk right by and you're walking right next to me and I preach by actions. Will you, is that an appropriate way to preach? I see you walking right there, and I say, you know what? If he's gonna, I don't wanna be intrusive. So you know, I'm gonna preach by action. I just walk right by the poop, and you should have followed. Let's say another one. Let's say I'm looking for my window, and I see outside your kid playing in the street, and I see your kid about to get hit by a car, and I say, you know what? If he would have followed my lead, if I don't let my kid play in the street, and he should follow my preaching, my preaching is by action. My kids stay inside the house, they don't play in the street. Is that what you expect of me as your friend? I preach to you by my actions. You should have known that my kids don't play in the street. Or do you expect me to say, hey, watch out. Your kid's about to get hit by a car. Hey, watch out. You're about to step in the dog poop. You expect at some point in time that the the actions has to lead to verbal. And if it doesn't, then I question how much you really care about your friend. That's why St. Paul said this verse, 1 Corinthians 9, 16. He said, if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. I'm not the hero of the year if I say, watch out your kid's about to get hit by a car. That doesn't make me a hero. That makes me a human being. I'm a villain if I see your kid about to get hit by a car and I don't say something. I'm a rude person if I see you about to step in dog poop and I don't say something. It's not something extra credit or elective or anything like that. This is our duty. If we see someone, and we say nothing. We're gonna look quickly at St. Fotini and I wanna give you three lessons that we learned from St. Fotini about preaching by speaking. And again, this is not the only way to preach. Next week, we're going to see a different way for each of the rest of the series. But we we have to be honest. We have to say that this is an important way. And if we didn't preach, if someone didn't preach to us, we may not be here today. Three things that we can learn. This is an evangelist mindset for those when it comes to speaking. Number one, number one, I hope everyone knows this. Number one, you never know the power of just one word. You never know the power of just one word. You never know the power of just one word at just the right time by just the right person. You never know the eternal impact a one word can have. Jesus had a short conversation with a Samaritan woman by a well on a hot summer day. And that one word that he said to her transformed her, her five sisters, her two sons, a prison in Rome, and, and generations and generations and generations afterward. You never know the power of just one word. You know our problem? Our problem is we're too American when it comes to this stuff. We're too capitalistic. We're too much in, a, in terms of efficiency. And we think to ourselves, what's the best model? And what's the one that brings the most fruit? And look, that's not how an evangelist thinks. You know how an evangelist thinks? An evangelist thinks that today may be the day, that just this one word today may be the right day for this person. That's how an evangelist thinks. An evangelist doesn't think in terms of mass production. That's how we think as Americans. An evangelist doesn't think in terms of events and activities and programs. An evangelist thinks, here's one person in front of me right now, and maybe if I just say that one word right now, maybe that one word at that right time, an evangelist knows that every day might be the right day for that person. Because an evangelist knows that there was a time in your life, forget it, maybe spiritual, maybe not even spiritual, has ever been that someone's one word, one sentence, one conversation changed your life? I can think back to conversations that absolutely have an impact on me to this day. Well, maybe you can be the one conversation that impacts someone for the rest of their eternity. That's how an evangelist thinks. You never know the power of just one word. When it comes to preaching, we're not dealing with sales numbers. We're not dealing with quotas, commissions. We're dealing with hearts. We're dealing with souls. We're dealing with people. And you never know what one word impact will have on the person who's right in front of you. St. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6 and 9. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. He says, I just said a word. Apollos said another word. God is the one who did his thing. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. So he who plants and he who waters are one. Each one will receive his own reward according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. I think that Fotini. Never set out to convert the whole world. I truly believe that because I always say that evangelism and witnessing is not about bringing others to Christ, bringing Christ to others. That's my core belief. And I believe that St. Fotini never said, I'm going to convert all of Rome. But St. Photini said, I'm going to stand right here. And any person that I meet right here, I'm going to drop a seed. And then I'm going to stand over here. I see another person, I'm going to drop another seed. And some of the seeds will have no impact. Nero, she preached Nero, Nero had no impact in theory, many people should preach who had no impact. But some seeds will bring forth great impact. I don't know. I don't care. That's not my responsibility. My responsibility is every person in front of me. I'm gonna bring Christ to them, and I'm gonna leave the results up to God. So here's my question for you I, on your on your handout. I put three questions for you to contemplate and to think about. Question number one that you need to think about every single person who might God want you to drop some seeds with. Who might God want you to drop some seeds with? I'm not saying who to who to who to convert. Who to baptize, like I'm encouraging you not to baptize anyone. But I'm just saying, who might you, who might be in your day-to-day life? I'm not saying go take a trip to Africa. I'm saying who in your day-to-day life, maybe God wants you to just drop a seed. And if a name already popped in your head, write that name down. Don't try to talk yourself out of that name. That name might be from God. Who might God want you to drop a seed with? Drop a seed looks like how? Someone comes and says, hey, how was your weekend? You could say, fine, nothing, weather, whatever. Or you could say, you know what? I had a great weekend. I went to church. What's a church? Come with me. That's dropping a seed. Someone may come and you say, you know what? I had a rough weekend, horrible weekend. This, this, and that happened. Drop a seed. Hey, can I pray for you? I'm not saying you got to drop down right now and you know what I mean? But I'm saying the one question, I have never gotten a negative response to this question, even from the most difficult and antagonistic people. I never got a negative answer to this. Hey, do you want me to pray for you? How can I pray for you? Because everyone, no matter what they believe, wants prayer. Again, okay, as the, the, someone just told me, a military person just told me, that there's no such thing as an atheist and a foxhole. You've heard that before? Because in the end, people can preach what they want to preach and say what they want to say. And you say, okay, you may not believe in God, but I do. You want me to talk to him about you? Uh, okay. Drop a seed. Give a book. Uh, pass along a sermon. Uh, a, a brochure, a website, like whatever. I'm not saying convert anyone. I'm saying, who in your day-to-day life might God want you to drop a seed with? That's number one. You never know the power of just one word. Number two, witnessing is contagious. Witnessing is contagious. There's a verse that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18 where he talked about how if you cause someone else to sin, it's really bad. He's saying, if you sin, that's bad. But if you cause someone else to sin, that's really bad. Better for a millstone to be hung around your neck and you thrown in the deepest part of the ocean. You know why? Why is having a drink not as bad as teaching someone else to drink? Because you don't know the impact that that one drink is going to have on that person. And let's say that person becomes an alcoholic. And the one who's thank- to thank for it is you with your gracious offer to offer that person their first drink. Let's say someone, you give them their first drink taste of the slot machines in Vegas. And then they become an addicted gambler and throw away their home and their family and everything else like that. You give someone the first puff and they become an addict. You don't know what's gonna happen. You don't know the domino effect of giving someone sin. Well, I wanna take the same principle on the positive side. You don't know the impact, the positive domino of preach the gospel to someone. And just like with the sin, you're kind of responsible for all those other sins And if they teach others to sin, you're kind of responsible for that as well. If you preach the gospel to someone who then preaches the gospel to many people, who then preaches the gospel to many people, you're responsible. And you get rewarded for that. Who is the greatest preacher among the disciples? Who is the greatest preacher of the 12? The one who we all know as, like this was the guy, this was Jesus' right hand man. He was the rock. Who is that? St. Peter. What do we know about St. Peter? John chapter 1, verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak, talking about John the Baptist, don't worry about that, and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated to Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Andrew brought Peter to Jesus. This is a tough verse. Younger brothers ever, we don't like this. Now when Jesus looked at him, meaning Peter, he said, you are Simon, son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which translated a stone. He became the rock of faith. Andrew's like, ha, <laughs> like, he's only here because of me. Like, I invite him to friends and family day and then the priest comes and says, oh, you're the honored guest and push the other guy out of the way. <laughs> like, he's with me. You think Andrew didn't get a reward for bringing the rock of faith? See, the younger brother inside all of us wants to be like, that's not fair. <laughs> you think God Isn't going to reward Andrew just as much, if not more, than Peter? You don't know. You may bring one person to church. And that person may be the next St. Paul, the next Pope, the next Father Anthony. You never know. Back to Fotini. One of the people that Fotini changed, I told you earlier, she had five sisters and two sons. And I told you about the five sisters and the one son, and they were martyred by beheading. There's the other son. He didn't die, with the rest of them. His name was Victor. Victor was a soldier in the Roman army. And he was uh, originally um, sent to, where was he sent to? Asia Minor is where he was serving. And then while he was serving as a soldier in Asia Minor, he got a call back from Nero. He was supposed to come back to Rome for the purpose of persecuting Christians. At that time, he was a believer. He knew his mother and his brother, as well as his aunts, were believers and missionaries in Rome. And he's being called back to arrest and kill Christians in Rome. Victor had a friend named Sebastian. Sebastian told him, tried to convince him, saying, I know your mother and brothers are Christians, but you have to obey this order. Nero will kill anyone who doesn't obey this order. I know your mother and brother. I know they're doing this stuff. Don't worry. I'm going to go talk to them, and I'm going to tell them to believe what they want to believe, but don't preach anything in public, because now this is going to come back on you, and I'm going to go tell them that. Sebastian said, I'm sorry, Victor said to them, I want to preach Christianity like my mother and brothers, and I'm ready to die for it. Sebastian, Sebastian's the friend of Victor, the son of Fotini. Fotini, Victor, Sebastian, friend, doesn't believe, he's afraid, he's a scaredy cat. He tries to persuade Victor, you're making a big mistake. At that moment, as he's trying to persuade him, he feels a sharp pain in his eyes. He loses sight in his eyes and he cannot see. For three days, he is blind. On the fourth day, all of a sudden, he opens his eyes and he says, the God of the Christians is the only true God. Victor says, what happened to you? Where'd this come from? A minute ago, you're trying to convince me this is crazy. And now all of a sudden, the God of the Christians is the only true God. And he said, Christ is calling me too. And Sebastian was baptized, regained his sight, became a witness along with his whole household and their servants, and they all ended up being martyred for the faith that they were originally trying to persecute. Let's go back to the chain. You had Fotini, and then to her son, and then to his friend, and then to his household, and to their children, and only God knows where the train ends after that. And I'm saying that all this is rewarded right here. So my next question to you is this. The first question was, who might God want you to drop some seeds with? My next question is, what might happen if blank, and that's the person from number one, what might happen if blank becomes a strong believer, becomes a witness themselves? You said a minute ago, God might want me to drop seeds with my boss. What might happen to your company if your boss becomes a strong believer? What might happen to your university if your professor becomes a strong believer? What might happen to that person, you're an intern in that person's office? I'm not saying to preach, don't get me in trouble, don't get fired and say it's me. I'm just saying, what would happen if you were to drop a seed, invite someone to church, you can invite anyone to church, it's a free country, and that person would become a strong believer. never know. I always think of myself, I think to myself, about when I get to heaven, when you get to heaven, what's it going to look like? I'm making this up, so I have no reason to believe this, but this is in my mind. I picture me, me walking into heaven, and you know what I mean? Like I'm kind of kind of an introvert, like when you go to a party where you don't know everyone, you try to hide in the corner. That's me, okay? So I kind of walk in, I'm going to just kind of stay in the corner of heaven and, you know, wait for someone to come, you know, like, to talk to me, like, I'm going to walk in, someone's going to be like, hey And I'm like, you know, looking around, he's going to be like, hey, it's going to be like a big celebration, everybody, Father Anthony's here. I'm like, who are these people? And they're going to say, we're here because of you. I say, but I never met you. I say, but you preach to this great group of people in Arlington called STSA, and I'm here because someone of them preached to me. So I wouldn't be here without you because you preached to them and they preached to me. And I say, that's right. I'll take that, pass the drink. Not those kind of drinks. This is heaven. Is anyone going to be in heaven because of you? I don't know. Is anyone going to be in heaven because of you directly? Or indirectly? I don't know. But I like to think about these things. Because this is what priests think about. This is what we like to think about. And I want you to think about it too. Who might God want you to drop a seed with? What might happen if that person becomes a strong believer? You never know. Number three. And I'll wrap up with this one. For those of you who are still struggling with this speaking thing, we speak most passionately about what we believe most deeply. And that's an undeniable fact. We speak most passionately about what we believe most deeply. Sometimes people ask me, you know, like, you get very excited, Father, Anthony, when you talk and you preach and you get yourself all worked up and you get sweaty and like, why? why cool it a little bit, take it easy. I say, you know what, to be honest, I can't help it. I can't help it that I get so excited about a topic that is so near and dear to my heart. Because I have been on both sides of the coin. And when I'm preaching to someone about a life with Christ, I've kind of tasted the life without Christ. I kind of did my own thing for a while. I kind of know what it's like to say, you know what God, you stay over there on that side of the room, I'll stay on this side. I know what it's like to have an arm's length relationship with God. And I've tasted this and I tasted this and it's night and day. So yes, I do get myself excited sometimes. I do because I've tasted the sweetness. And that's why I know so many people out there I know so many people out there that are one decision away from this, from a great life, from a life with Christ in everything that you do. It's just one decision of repentance, one decision of obedience. It's just one decision. So yeah, I do get myself worked up sometimes. Telling me not to get excited about the difference between a life with Christ and without Christ. I can't not get excited because that's what I believe. And maybe, the reason why you struggle to speak passionately, maybe it's not a personality thing. Maybe it's a belief thing. Maybe the problem isn't that your personality, maybe the problem is that you don't believe it as sincerely. Maybe you don't believe that this ancient faith, I believe this ancient faith is the solution to all the problems in the world. I truly believe that. And that's why for me, I had no problem to talk about the church. I love the church. I believe it's a solution to the, the guy in front of me. I believe it's a solution for him. Maybe you don't. Maybe the reason that you struggle with that prayer thing that I said earlier, because maybe you don't really believe in the power of prayer. Maybe you're not really convinced. Maybe you think that, you know what? I pray for a lot of things that don't get answered. Maybe you're not really convinced. Maybe you're not convinced that all things work together for good to those who love God. God. Maybe that's why you struggle in a situation. You say, well, I don't want to offend and I don't want to be in someone's face. Maybe the problem is you're not really convinced. Maybe you're not convinced that God really has enough love for that person in front of you, given what they've done. Maybe the problem isn't your personality. Maybe the problem is your belief. Because I promise you, when you believe something deeply, you do not need to look for words to say it. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 12, 34. He said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you come to me and you ask me why I love my children, I don't need to say, well, that's a good question. Let me think about it. Because I love my children, it oozes out of me. And you ask me why I love my children, I don't need to think about it. I don't need to say, let me get back to you. Let me, let me get Because when you love someone deeply, you don't need to think about why you love them. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you struggle to speak, maybe the problem isn't the mouth. Maybe the problem is the heart. That gets me to my third question. First question was who may God want you to drop some seeds with? Number two, what may happen if they become a strong believer? Third question. What do you really believe? What do you really believe about God? Like, beyond, you need to answer them, me. What do you really believe about God? Do you really believe that a life with God is better than a life without God? Do you really believe that someone cannot be happy in life outside of God and his plan? I believe that. Do you really believe the way I believe? that a life of sin will never satisfy, will never satisfy. And when I truly see someone who wants to be satisfied and he's trying in sin, I know he's fighting an uphill battle he's never gonna win. You truly believe that. We speak passionately about what we believe deeply. And that was who Fotini was. Fotini was not a eloquent orator. Fotini's preaching was never about eloquence. It was never about, like I said, standing up on a stage and preaching and reason and It was never about that. Fotini was love. It was not a duty for her. She didn't say, like we say, gotta check off the box that I got. Never. Fotini fell in love. And she loved God so deeply. And she discovered a love that was so deep, so wide, so rich, so fulfilling, so satisfying. She could not talk about it everywhere she went. Romans chapter eight, verse 31 tells us, I think what was inside the heart of Photini. What shall we then say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us? See what he's saying right there? That's what was in Fotini's heart was, life with Christ is the best thing in the whole wide world. Why would I not tell people about it? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you won the lottery today, would you keep that to yourself? If you got promoted to CEO tomorrow morning, there's the email, you're the new CEO of the company, would you keep that to yourself? If you won a date with George Clooney, keep that to yourself? He's married and you should definitely keep that to yourself then. Man, I know people who go to the store and see the shoes half off and can't keep that to themselves. And all of a sudden, everyone and their mother needs to know that this store has a sale. When we find something that we are passionate about and that we are excited about, we tell other people about it. So my question to you, have you discovered a love that is so rich that the Samaritan woman discovered, that Fotini discovered? Have you discovered a grace that is never ending? Have you discovered a well so deep that you drink and you get satisfied? You drink more, you get more satisfied. Have you discovered the freedom that she found in Christ? And if the answer is not yes, then you will always struggle to witness because we speak most passionately about what we believe most deeply. My prayer for every single person here, including myself, my prayer here is that mission, evangelism, witnessing, preachings, whatever you call it, would never be a duty for us, never be a duty for us. It's love for us, it's never a duty. It's something that I've tasted that is so sweet that I wanna share it with the whole wide world. Never out of duty, never out of obligation, but out of a heart that is overflowing, out of appreciation and love to the one who gave everything to me. Let's stand together and say a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great love that you have poured upon us, sending your Son to die for the sake of our salvation, We thank you, Lord, and we know, Lord, that your love for us is something that can never be put into words. But I pray that you would make it bigger and bigger and bigger in our hearts to appreciate more what you've done for us so that we can have the boldness and the courage that Fotini had to speak to those, even we may be scared, Lord, but just drop in little seeds because you never know. We never know what the power of just one word and the contagious that might come from that. We thank you, Lord, for those who have preached the gospel to us we pray, Lord, that we can be faithful in their footsteps to do the same in the world that we live in today. We pray these things in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus. The prayers of all of your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.